Our scripture reading is from Hebrews 13, 7 through 10 on page 1009 in your pew Bibles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it purifies us and makes us more like you. We pray that you would open our hearts to not only hear it, but to apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The word of God for the people of God. We are coming to the conclusion of Hebrews, as um, the, the, the big theme has been a, a warning uh, to those who would be turning away from Jesus uh, to either return to the synagogue or, or to go to pagan temples. And, and the idea is that hey, he's better. He's the fulfillment of all these things. He's superior to anything that was leading up to him. He is the fullness and the essence of what these other things were pointing to. Therefore, why would we return to things that we now have in Christ? We've been told to, to hold fast, and, and at this, um, towards the end of chapter 12, we've been reminded after we've seen how um, people have continued in the faith and followed him to therefore. Uh, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. So in a lot of ways, chapter 13 is concluding by showing us what that reverent and all-filled worship looks like. Now, in part, it's going to be the way we live as believers, much as Paul concludes um, his epistle to the Romans by saying, now, therefore, uh, give yourselves as a living sacrifice. Our, our worship is now the way we treat our neighbors, the way we treat our family, the way we um, go about our lives of work and study and play, that all that we do now is, in, in many ways, worship. Um, but that doesn't mean that gathering together as we do now is no longer worship. I think there's a temptation for us to kind of say, okay, what really matters is being a good person, and it really doesn't matter if you gather for worship. And yet God commands us to gather together, to sing his praises, to attend to his word, to remember him at this table, to do all these things because it's not an either or. We are empowered and strengthened to go out um, to love and serve our neighbors as we gather together to hear our Savior speak to us 
and strengthen us. And as we reflect His glory to Him in praise and worship, that we need both and we're commanded to both. So our worship is not just our lives, and yet coming together and singing hymns and going and living in a way that's untouched by that is also not Christian. We need both. Um, we, we looked last week at different ways that the gospel transforms us, and we worship through treating strangers and our uh, one another in the church and our families and, and our relationships to our properties and ourselves, and we saw how we were moving deeper and deeper into our hearts, and now we're touching on our hearts as we talk about worship itself. So we're, we're getting now to corporate worship and how we worship, and we need to stay with this and, and worship God. And appropriately, he, um, he reminds us this by saying, um, look to remember your leaders, remember their outcome of life, and imitate them. Uh, so he, he's kind of bound these together as we begin to talk about worship through word and sacrament. Uh, he binds it together by reminding them that the leaders lived a certain life that's to be imitated. And so we'll be looking at um, part of this, and then the next time we um, uh, continue with this, uh, we'll be more on it. And one of the things I do want to say is that the, the writer of Hebrews is addressing specific issues. He's not giving us a treatise on Christian worship. It's not everything. Moreover, he's, he's dealing with things we, we might not completely understand what the temptation is. So when he's talking about some of the things of... Um, um, not being led away by diverse and strange teachings. We're not really exactly sure what those teachings are, and yet it doesn't matter because we have plenty of our own diverse and strange teachings to avoid. So let's look at what he's telling us. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. So they are to look back on those who they knew who spoke to them God's word, and to think about the way their life turned out and the way they held their life and to uphold their faith. And I think one of the things this is talking about is seeing, did did they back up what they say or was it mere words, right? Did did their lives show evidence of the the conviction of these words? So some of y'all might have been aware This past 4th of July, Ben and Jerry's ice cream um, made a statement about America's land being stolen from Native Americans and ought to be returned, and made a big splash of land needs to be returned to the Native American tribes. And there is certainly a history that ought to be thought about. And and yet, when uh, they're based in Vermont, and when the chief of the tribe who's property Ben & Jerry's headquarters is on, publicly stated, we welcome any discussion with Ben & Jerry's about them returning their property to us. They were suddenly silent. Publicly, they haven't said anything about returning. They were very happy about other people doing this, other people returning land, and yet their own lifestyle shows they're not really serious about it, right? Let me just say, younger people, as you enter into um, college, as you enter into things, there's a lot of people who are going to make some novel things and some really challenging things about justice, probably some really true things to hear, and yet, I, I recommend you look at what people actually do and not what they say, because the number of people who are able to 
find some cause and change their Facebook profile or do a few Instagram likes and talk, there's a lot more of them than actually believe it enough to do things. That's why anytime there's a gathering of people to talk about climate change and they all take private jets and want to tell us about carbon emissions, I'm really skeptical. Show me somebody who lives in it. And so what he's saying is, think about those your leaders. Did they live the faith? Oh, yeah, they did. All of the disciples, all of the, the apostles, other than John, who remained after Judas, died from torture and execution. Not one said Jesus didn't raise. Not one said, I don't believe he really did anything on the cross. They all laid down their life and died. They probably had, uh, the one exception of that was John, who died in exile for his faith. They knew people in their midst who were willing to suffer and die um, because of their belief. And there are today believers in other lands who, out of their love of Jesus, are willing to endure. But more than that, consider those in your life. Consider those in your own life whose lives have lived this out. And, you know, it's, it's so easy to look in the moment at somebody who's saying something, who's getting attention, who's doing things. And i got to admit, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, I'm not sure how many churches could listen to this now because the number of so-called Christian leaders who have made an absolute shipwreck of their faith, who have turned others aside and who have caused scandal to the church is astounding. And I think one of the things, let's take this seriously, if we were to think about the outcome of their faith, we might be less generous about who we call a church because anyone who grabs a Bible in a crowd is not a church. If there's no oversight, if there's not other shepherds who are able to kick out the false shepherds, we might be considering whether or not just because they're saying they are a pastor, if we're listening to the outcome of their life, they are. But how good it is that many of you can think of those. I've, I've shared with some of y'all before um, some of the men that I've known and women I've known who have given their life to serving others, not in suffering, but in, in giving and generosity. And one I just I, that comes to mind is, honestly, if I look back on several of the, the leaders and pastors that I've known um, growing up, I, I, I used to give officer training and say I wouldn't be a pastor based on most of them. But there was one man, he, uh, when I was at the boys' ranch in Alabama, which was a group home for boys, several different cabins, um, we had a chapel, and as we integrated, as we had... Um, black students come in and live with us where we were we decided it would probably be better for us to um, have our own worship our own church and so we we reached out to um, a man who was um, he was a vice president in a local bank and a Gideon he was a speaker and so we asked him to serve us and he did very faithfully pastoring um, the this church and um, if you can imagine um, how much a salary for a pastor of a group of 75 um, um, foster, boy, foster home boys, um, their allowance didn't really make up for a huge offering. So there wasn't a big, you know. One day he gathered the house parents for a meeting to say, um, they've offered me a position as president of the bank, and there's no way I can be president and pastor this church. 
and as they geared up for his resignation, he said, so I resigned from the bank. I'm going to come pastor the boys' ranch. I just think of what love had touched his life, that he understands the gospel so much that he is willing to give up so much. That's the sort of thing. And I know all of you can think of people in your lives who the, 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 the truths of the gospel have so reached as they led and as they served they, that they showed you over years and over decades what faithful living is. Remember them and imitate them. And leaders in this congregation, fellow elders and deacons and any who teach, any, are we living in a way that backs up what we say we believe? Are we living in a way that say we exalt Christ above everything else in our life? Are we living in a way that commits? Are we living in a way that somebody else, we could say, when I'm six feet under and my name's just on this wall, are, are you going to say, imitate this? And I have to say, that, that terrifies me. I, I need to spend some time in repentance and thinking through that, and we all probably need to. Are we doing this? That we... Look to those that we remember. Look at their outcome of life. And we compare that because it shows us the word that is spoken, right? It, it, it accompanies the word that we say we believe. And notice that it is the word of God that is spoken. I want to draw your attention to this in verse 19. Oh, no, I'm on the wrong. We didn't read 19. Uh, verse 7, remember your leaders and he qualifies them as the ones who spoke the word of God. They didn't talk about the word of God. They didn't bring some opinions from the word of God. They spoke the word of God. And the understanding here is that as God's people have gathered together in a place, the Holy Spirit is with us. And to the extent that someone is proclaiming the word of God, in alignment with the scripture, and is heard by people, the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Now, that doesn't mean anybody behind the pulpit saying something is God's word. It doesn't say, my opinion on what type of roof or carpet is the word of God. No more in scripture. It doesn't mean views on political things that scripture doesn't point to, but to the extent that someone is proclaiming what the scriptures themselves proclaim and exploring it and opening it up and illuminating it and applying it to our lives, that is God's very word to us. Mr. Rogers spoke at my seminary graduation the year before I graduated. That Mr. Rogers. Sweater and everything. Many of you know Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister. And we were so fortunate that he uh, came and gave the graduation address. It was so great. He gets up to the, the microphone at Lindenwood Christian Church where our service is. He opens his mouth, and suddenly we're all six-year-old again. <laughs> it's great. It's, it's Mr. Rogers. And I, and I remember him telling things um, about his own life and called a ministry and what he wanted to do. But what I remember most of all was he said, the space between the mouth of one earnestly trying to share the gospel, to share good news, and the ears of a needy listener are holy ground. 
Right? The, the, the space between the mouth of someone trying to proclaim the gospel and the ears of someone in need is holy ground. What he's saying is, is what we understand happens is that God takes the proclamation of his word and through the Holy Spirit brings it to us and helps us to hear the very words of God in this moment. And, and it, it, it's something the Spirit does in an amazing way. That. Let me, let me tell you what that, my experience of this is. I'll shake hands with somebody nearly in tears saying, you spoke to me, and they share what I said, and that's not at all what I said or what I meant or intended. Thank God God meant something this clumsy speaker didn't. And, and so there, there is something that happens that God speaks to us in a way that you're not going to get reading a book, that you're not going to get reading the Bible on your own, that as we gather together as a people, it's not going to be even the same watching on YouTube or listening somewhere else it's that something where God speaks to us in this moment and we hear the voice of our shepherd so we hear the very word of God but not only that uh, well let me let me say if that is so if God speaks to us and we hear God's word that means if, if something is said for me that means or whoever is speaking whoever is preaching should do so with trembling knees because every word uttered from here will uh, I will give an account but it also means to the extent that whatever is said is in line with Scripture. It doesn't matter if you like it. Is it to be obeyed? It doesn't matter, if, you know, if we think of a better way to phrase it, if it's something believed and trusted and held to for comfort. For God himself speaks to us. So he, he not only speaks to us, but he welcomes us to the table. So we have the word and we have the sacrament. Um, that we, we see this reminder um, that the Jesus, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, were warned to not be led away to diverse and strange teachings, uh, to be strengthened by grace, uh, not by foods which have benefited, because we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So one is that the, the goal is to be faithful, Jesus is the same yesterday and today forever. What he, what he shared um, through the prophets and then what he spoke to his apostles ought to be the same word that he is speaking to us today. Red flags ought to be flown up anytime somebody says they're going to have a, a, a new take on something. They, they're going to revision um, the, the, the message or um, they have new insight. Run and tear. We, we take old paths. We hear what he has said yesterday it's going to be the same thing he says. God doesn't change his mind because people are suddenly polling different. God's word is the same. And so we want to um, keep that. And, and in doing so, we also remember that we um, uh, have an altar. So we, we're going to hear the word. We're going to have the word that's faithful, continuing. But then we also remember that the one who speaks to us invites us to this table. The one who spoke and um, was telling about his coming and suffering on the cross, the one who suffered on the cross and, and, and shared his forgiveness on the cross, the one who gave this message to the Hebrews is the one who comes to us now and meets us in this altar. And he says that we now have um, a right to come to an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. And he's referring to the tabernacle and to the temple and the way that, that worship was structured, that sacrifices would be made and some people could go this far into the, the court. Some 
could go a little bit further, and only the priests could go in, and only they would have certain aspects of this meal, and so the, only a select few would have this. And, and so what he's saying is, recognize what now you have in Christ Jesus. Because the temptation would be to look back at the temple and to think, oh, wow, you can see all this stuff. You see the animals. You see uh, the priest. You see the, the, the altar and, and, and the, the decorations. Or to look over the temple and see the idols and to see the, um, the fanfare and to see the sacrifice and see all these things and then to come together and to merely hear the word and break bread. You have to be thinking, is this really something? Is God doing anything here? Are we really in his presence? And so his reminder is, you're not going somewhere where you're cut off and you are, are, you know, there's only select few who have this. Now you are now the priesthood. You are now the ones who have been brought to this altar. You are now the ones who have direct access with God. And you'll remember he talked about Christ offering a sacrifice. He's in the heavenlies. And so the true sacrifice is not in the temple. The true sacrifice is in heaven. The temple is Christ. He has given the sacrifice. And so as we eat at this table, as we come together, we are participating in the sacrifice that he has given to us. We're not going through, we have a more direct connection. We're not going through this other mediator because the mediator is Christ himself who is welcoming us. And, and others who are not trusting in him don't have access to this. Do you, do you recognize the privilege he says you who believe in Christ have by coming to this table? Because you have communion with Christ himself. You are receiving from that once final sacrifice that is given to us and is seated at the right hand of the Father and is at the true altar in heaven. And we are connected with that when we come and we worship him. So the big thing is if this is true, if we gather and God speaks to us, and encourages us to live a way that exemplifies Christ. And if we have access to something with a direct connection to Christ himself, and if the Holy Spirit truly is with us and making these things real, why would you want to be anywhere else on the Lord's day? Would you please stand and let us say what we believe through the words of the Nicene Creed.